Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 257 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing what to do if you find yourself in a creative writing class with a professor who dislikes fantasy and science fiction. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Alina Sichavaya, a writer and college student based in North Carolina. She's a graduate of the 2016 Alpha Young Writers Workshop and was a finalist for the 2017 Dell Magazines Award. Her poem, After Moonfishing, is forthcoming in Strange Horizons, and you can follow her on Twitter at Alina underscore Sichavaya. So Alina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Then next up, we've got Jamie Ann Fuller. She was a finalist for the 2014 and 2015 Dell Magazines Award, and her short fiction has appeared in Abyss and Apex and Cast of Wonders, and is forthcoming in the anthology The Young Explorer's Adventure Guide. She graduated from Kenyon College in 2014 and just survived her first year at Harvard Law School. She blogs at jamieannfuller.com and tweets at jamieannfuller. So, Jamie Ann, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. And also joining us today is Emma Clark. She graduated from the Chicago Academy for the Arts in 2005 and Knox College in 2009, where she co-founded the school's genre magazine, Quiver. She currently works as an attorney and still plucks away at fantasy novels in her spare time. So, Emma, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Okay, and so the reason I want to talk about this is that this is pretty much a rite of passage, pretty much a universal experience among fantasy and science fiction authors, that you go to high school and you go to college, and you have teachers and professors that are really rude and dismissive about fantasy and science fiction, and they say that it's uh, it's not quote-unquote real literature, and it doesn't deal with serious themes or have real characters, and all these other just really preposterous things that makes it very clear that they've never actually read any fantasy or science fiction. And you can test this very easily by asking them, well, which fantasy and science fiction books did you read that gave you such a negative impression of the field? And they will very quickly admit, I, I, I don't read fantasy or science fiction. And this is very, very frustrating, and certainly I experienced this. It made me feel very alienated as a student and probably, you know, affected my academic career and how I felt about school and how much I wanted to be involved with school. And pretty much everyone who's a fantasy and science fiction author I've talked to has had the same experience. And I was kind of, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently about the mainstreaming of geek culture, and so I was kind of hoping that this was getting a lot better. Um, but then I saw Alina has been posting on Facebook about some of her experiences this semester at college, which have not been good. And so I just wanted to have you guys on to talk about this and just kind of get a sense of how, what is the current state of this and what can we do maybe to improve it? But so Alina, why don't you just talk a little bit about, I guess I'm curious, just before you got to college this semester, uh, you know, in high school and growing up and stuff, how had people reacted to you? writing fantasy and science fiction, like high school teachers and stuff like that? They hadn't, mostly because it wasn't taught at my high school. Like, we had a creative writing class, but I never had room in my schedule for it. Um, and my English classes were all about literature and mainly preparing us for AP exams. Uh, so there had never been really any focus on that in high school. And then I went to Alpha the summer before uh, I started college. and. I think without that, I probably wouldn't have chosen to take a creative writing class in college, which I did mostly to force myself to actually produce work while also doing, like, 
all of the other schoolwork required of me. So I just, I was sort of just doing it to like keep practicing. And I'd heard like everyone else's horror stories. Um, because occasionally this comes up on Twitter and people will talk about like their college experience and how it wasn't the best in this area. So I wasn't really expecting like that much, uh, in terms of it like being a welcoming atmosphere. But I also felt like I didn't really have that much to lose by writing like, what I would call more subtle science fiction or fantasy. But I definitely was not respect, uh, expecting, like, such a strong response from my professor <laughs> about was, genre fiction. Well, right. So say, like, what, were, what was kind of the first sign that things were going downhill? On the very first day of the semester, he mentioned that um, he didn't want us turning in... Uh, fiction that was, like, not from a human's perspective, which I thought was a very specific thing to mention. Uh, but then he, uh, the professor talked about how he'd had, like, people turn in, um, like, fiction from the point of view of a robot or an animal before, and how he didn't, like, he didn't necessarily think of that as um, appropriate viewpoints for pieces we'd turn into this class. Which kind of worried me a little, but like not, I wasn't like going out of my way to, to challenge him on it. And then about halfway through the semester, uh, I went to the International Conference of the Fantastic and the Arts, got back and found out that he'd apparently, um, from my classmates, I had found out that, um, he'd waited for me to get back so he, so he could lecture on genre fiction. And the lecture turned out to be like him talking about how it wasn't necessarily as valuable or as relevant as literary fiction, which confused me, considering how, um, how, I guess in my opinion, how much more genre fiction can sometimes do in terms of, like, social commentary or, um, I guess just making general statements. Uh, so that was, that definitely kind of, uh, discouraged me from turning in like more uh genre fiction pieces and, and so he knew at this point that you wanted to write fantasy and science fiction yes because at this point we'd already had to turn in one of our major projects and mine was a fantasy story which i mean i i wasn't i was never like graded solely based on that that never came that never reflected in my grades but he definitely like in his critiques uh he would mention that he didn't necessarily like the magical elements in the story. So it was definitely an issue. And so how did the rest of the class react to your story? I mean, I would say that it was, um, I would say that it was okay. Like we critiqued it just like any other story. Uh, some, like some people maybe didn't understand or expect the, uh, magical elements in the story as much as like, a group at Alpha would have expected it, but that's completely understandable. Like, I can't expect everyone to enjoy reading or writing the same things that I do. Now, was this a sort of, like, light fantasy, could-be-magical-realism kind of story, or is this a fallout secondary-world fantasy story with magic swords and things like that? I had not actually thought of that. Um, I guess it was, like, lighter fantasy, 
but I never actually specified in the story whether or not it was secondary world. Interesting. And so, um, okay, so you get back from ICFA, and he gives this lecture about how literary fiction is superior to genre fiction, and then um, you you hear from your classmates that he was saving this lecture, especially for you, basically. Um, and then kind of what happened next? I wouldn't say that we argued because no one like raised their voice and it wasn't like an angry conversation, but we definitely had like a strong conversation about this in which like I knew I wasn't going to change his mind and that wasn't necessarily my goal, but also like he was coming from a place of not necessarily understanding why people wanted to write it in the first place where like he, he saw it as being less, um, like less important, so he didn't really see why people would spend like spend their time on that or uh, turn it in for like assignments and stuff. And like I would like, and I gave him some short story recommendations because that's what we were working on in the class. Uh, and we talked a little bit about how like they they do the two do different things that are not necessarily less important than. One is not necessarily less important than the other, and they're able to do very different things based on, like, the constraints place, placed on them by their definitions. And you said that you mentioned to him that you were thinking about making a career of this? Yes, at which, uh, at which he kind of, and I think this, was, this wasn't necessarily, like, relevant to the conversation. I wouldn't, like, um, I wouldn't necessarily put this in, like, it w it wasn't really argumentative argumentative of him, but like he also kind of laughed at that a little bit in front of the class, which doesn't I I wouldn't say it really like relates to the larger debate of like genre fiction in creative writing programs at universities. That was just kind of a rude thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> right, and so what were the, I'm just curious, what were the stories that you recommended that he read? Um. I recommended, um, I have a list of them right here. Uh, the, sorry, um, The Cartographer Wasps and the Anarchist Bees by E. Lily Yu and uh, Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers by Alyssa Wong. Just because I thought that that was, um, the first one I picked sort of just to personally make a point about his earlier statement on like non-human main characters. Uh, because in uh, the cartographer wasps and the anarchist bees, uh, most of the story is actually taught from uh, told from the point of view of these insects, uh, and it makes some really interesting points, specifically about like issues of like colonialism and imperialism, which I personally really liked about the story. And then I also sent him uh, a link to Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers because it was closer to like literary fiction in that it wasn't necessarily uh, like a secondary world fantasy or uh, it wasn't like making demands on the reader to understand a different um, a different world or a different way of viewing the world in the same way that like uh, the first story would have asked that the reader uh, understand the world from the point of view of like a tiny insect. And so, did he ever read those stories? Uh, he got back to me about the cartographer wasps and the anarchist bees, and one of his main points concerning it was that uh, he didn't understand why the uh, the wasps and the bees couldn't have just been people. 
which to me sort of misses uh, misses the point of the story because, in my opinion, the story served as sort of like abstraction and could have, and I don't know if the writer intended it this way, but uh, I saw it as a sort of commentary on like the way humans uh, colonized and still to an extent colonize other humans uh, and sort of like an abstraction of that type of uh, cultural violence, I guess. Right. And so I saw you say that as a result of this whole experience, you're thinking about just not taking any more creative writing classes at the school. Is that right? Yeah. It just doesn't... Uh, I mean, that there's also the issue that I'm doing two majors, and my schedule doesn't necessarily allow that at this point. Uh, but also, I could make myself produce work like on my own schedule. And because the main reason I chose to do it in the first place was so that I would consistently be putting in effort and time on improving myself as a writer. Uh, and I could just do that on my own schedule instead of taking a class. But also, if I know I'm not going to be um, necessarily welcome in that environment based on the things that I write, uh, I don't necessarily see the point of doing that for four years. And I recognize that I could write more literary things. But also, that's that's where the issue of my schedule came up, where, like, I had classes that I would definitely be uh, required to take for graduation that I wouldn't have been able to take if I were to do a creative writing minor. Right. Well, so that's that's interesting that you said that you could, an option you're considering is just forgetting the classes and just writing on your own and setting your own goals. And that's kind of what Jamie Ann, that you said you did, right? Why don't you talk about, does this uh, this story that Alina is laying out here, does this strike a familiar chord with you? Um, yeah, it, it definitely does. I mean, what happened to me was, I think, a bit um, less overt. It, it was subtler. Um, I wanted to take a class, or I, want, I wanted to take a creative writing minor, um, actually at my, my, at my school, it was called a concentration. Um, cause I wanted for my, my sort of senior capstone project, I really wanted to be able to do a creative project. Um, I had taken intro fiction, uh, the year before that, that this happened and it, it, like it went really well. So I signed up to take advanced fiction with the same professor and in between the summer, this is the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I had attended Alpha. Um, and so I really sort of was working on fantasy and science fiction short stories. It was something I wanted to work more on. This professor had said that she was open to genre fiction. And yet she treated the, in the advanced fiction class, she treated the students who were writing genre fiction very differently from the students who were writing, um, fr from the students who were, who were writing more literary fiction. She, it, it was really a, a brutal class. She sort of just took out her obvious dislike for it on the students who were writing genre fiction. And after the class, I mean, I, I was a chicken. I never actually like confronted her about it. Um, I just sort of got through the semester and after the class, I still wanted the concentration. So since I 
do sometimes write in multiple genres, I said, okay, so if I'm going to take more creative writing classes, maybe I'll focus on like historical fiction, which is, you know, not quite as literary as, as modern stuff, but, um, like it was something that I felt like I could do and could work on and it would still help my fantasy writing and my science fiction writing just in a different way. So I did that. That worked out really well with different professors and I set my own goals and work on, um, my own like fantasy stuff on my own or with writing partners and writing groups mostly. You say, uh, I once had a professor tell me in front of the entire class that my story wasn't worth telling. Yes. So this is the professor. Um, I was, I, I had submitted, um, a short story and this is full on secondary world fantasy. Um, and the, the class, there might've been like misunderstandings of the genre and all, and things like that. Like you were talking about with Alina, um, the, the class sort of tore it apart and I'm not like, it was a first draft. I'm not going to say that it was a perfectly, it was a beautiful, perfect story by any stretch of the imagination. It really probably needed to be critiqued. Um, but like, you know, at the close of the, at the close of my time being critiqued, the professor really basically said straight up, I don't understand why, why you're telling this story. This story isn't worth telling to me. And that was really like, I'd put a lot of work into the story. It, it, it hurt a lot, I guess is the best way I can put this. And you say the story went on to be published. It, it did. It was published last year in Abyss and Apex and it had been revised significantly since that day, but it was, it was sort of just a moment of just, just goes to show, I guess, that, you know, maybe this professor didn't know exactly what she was talking about. <laughs> it's funny, it's funny, Jamie, because I had a, a similar experience in grad school where I turned in a science fiction story to a writing workshop and the professor just basically said, you're doing everything wrong. You got to scrap this and start over from scratch. Uh, you know, what, what, what in this story, you have things happening and a short story isn't about things happening. It's about capturing one moment in time, which I thought was a pretty specifically prescriptive sort of thing to say. But I ended up selling the story to Realms of Fantasy magazine, which was, you know, one of the four biggest markets in the fantasy and science fiction field. And so then I kind of had to go back into class and tell her, oh, I sold the story. And it was exactly the same story I had turned in to the class. And she said, oh, did they pay you? And I said, yeah, they paid me about $300, which of course is you're pretty good money for a short story. And she was just flabbergasted, you know, <laughs> she couldn't even like comprehend that. Wait. And it, it was just, you know, like, like you're saying, it's just like, sometimes these, these, these professors will say things with such authority. It's it's this combination, I guess, of, of, of ignorance and arrogance of, of, of not knowing what they're talking about when it comes to this kind of writing that is so frustrating. Yes, exactly. I mean, and when I went on to take further creative writing classes and to work, I worked one-on-one -on -one with a different professor on my, my honors thesis, and that was all historical fiction. I, I, it took me months before I even mentioned that I also wrote fantasy. Like, it just to, I didn't want to cross that bridge. Uh, did, did you ever end up mentioning fantasy? Um, I did when I, actually, when I, um, placed in the Dell Award in, in 2014. It was a few months before I graduated. And I sort of had to say, hey, I, I won this award, so I'm not going to be here next week, <laughs> um, which was 
I guess kind of an underhit. Like she wasn't going to say like, oh, the, that story is terrible. Like, <laughs> or that genre is terrible because I obviously just won something or, you know, was a finalist in something pretty major. <laughs> so it was kind of a sneaky underhanded way of doing it, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, so you, you said that you organized other people who are interested in writing fantasy and science fiction to be kind of like your writer's group, right? Say a little bit more about that. Right. So um, after after this awful semester in this creative writing class, I realized that like there really there were a lot of people on campus who wrote fantasy and science fiction, and there really wasn't a place for them in the English department. This professor who I'd had for this this advanced fiction class. Um, was the only professor who said she was open to speculative fiction, and yet she was tearing anyone who wrote it apart. Um, so I realized, like, that there there wasn't a place for writers like us, and that I at least wanted a place. Um, I really enjoyed Alpha. I really enjoyed having that that writers group, and it was great that we still had the alumni network going. Um, but it would I really wanted like people I could talk with my about my writing you know, on a more daily or weekly basis. Um, so some friends and I who also wrote, wrote speculative fiction got together, we formed a student organization and we basically, we created a, a creative writing group and we met once a week and to just like work on longer projects or shorter projects. Um, we would have, we organized like events around NaNoWriMo. Um, we set up, um, events where we we actually had like a, t a professor who wrote mysteries come in and give a lecture to our group about how to write mysteries. We have had a student who did like really intense martial arts talk come in and talk about like blocking out fight scenes. Um, we did sort of various things like that, um, and we drew in a whole lot of people. Um, we probably had like ten to fifteen people who came to the regular meetings to write, but we would get up to a hundred people around NaNoWriMo time or for any of these special events. And like, they're, they're still going, which is really great. And the thing that like, I'm really happy about is that the English department has, seems to have taken notice that they've, they've noticed that there's a group of people who want a place to be able to write genre fiction and talk about genre fiction. Um, and the English department, like they recently started a couple, couple years ago, it was the year after I graduated. Um, they had a class on reading science fiction and fantasy literature. I've heard it wasn't, wasn't that good, but like it's encouraging to me that they've noticed that there's a, a part of the community and especially a part of the English major community doesn't feel like they're represented and that they're the English department is trying to make that happen more. And do you think that science fiction and fantasy course, that was a direct response to your, to the group that you organized? I, I don't know that for sure. Um, I do know that the group that I organized got a lot of attention there, especially around, around NaNoWriMo because we publicized the events and we ended up in like the school newspaper. Um, talking about us writing um, and and various things. The professor who gave the talk about writing mysteries was pretty high profile. So our group did get a lot of attention around campus because of this. Um, 
at one point we held like there, I forget what the event was for, but there were like different groups were doing events all over campus and we held like a reading where we read our, our stuff or, you know, um, so I don't, I don't know if this class was a direct response to the group, but I know that the English department had taken notice of the group. That's interesting because we know another writer, Karen Aston, who was at the same school after you. And yes, she was Karen, Karen's one of my friends. Um, and she, she was actually part of the group too. We, she was part of the original, the original group. So. Okay. So you guys overlapped at the school? Yes. Okay. Cause she was saying that it's basically common knowledge that if you apply to a creative writing class by submitting a fantasy and science fiction story, it's just an automatic rejection. Yes, I think that's the case now. The class that I got into with a creative writing or with sorry, with a with the speculative fiction piece was with the professor who said she accepted it and she has since retired. Um I don't believe other professors will accept it um even for an application for a creative writing thing and I don't know that that may have changed since we have both graduated. I don't I don't really have as many connections back on campus mm-hmm. at this point. What do you make of that professor saying that she was open to fantasy and science fiction and then trashing anyone who submitted any? I'm really not sure. I think that I I feel like maybe she she wanted um she wanted to be open to it. She wanted to be open to all genres, but it just felt like she didn't she didn't know. Like a lot of her comments, you know, in retrospect, a lot of her comments sort of spoke of um, a lack, like a lack of knowledge about world building and, and that sort of thing. You know, they want, she wanted answers to every single nitty gritty question, even the ones that really didn't matter to the short story. (laughs) They have so many pages Uh, (laughs) that, that sort of thing. I don't, I really am not sure exactly what happened in that class. Um, and then Karen also, she says that she, she took this, um, science fiction fantasy literature class. And one of her issues with it, she says, was that it basically the class focused too much on talking about whether fantasy and science fiction had any value or not, rather than just assuming that it has value and talking about it the way that you would talk about any other kind of, you know, literature. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's definitely, that's definitely unfortunate. Um, cause yes, it has value and we should just assume that it has value. And I, I wish the class, like, I mean, I haven't, I didn't take the class, so I don't, I, you know, but I, I wish that the class would assume that fantasy and science fiction literature has value and then talk about like, you know, w- what's going on in that literature, just like you would any other, any other literature class. Um, at the same time, like I'm optimistic that this is a step in the, or it could be a step in the right direction. I guess it could also be a step in the wrong direction, but <laughs> I'm optimistic. Yeah. You also posted, you said, I also had the editor of a lit mag I was working for compare genre fiction to porn. Yeah, that, that happened. Uh, <laughs> so we were, we were going on, we were talking about sort of what, what the magazine accepted and didn't accept. And in, you know, in the same sentence, he was like, we don't accept porn or speculative fiction. And, um, I just felt like, okay, I understand that, that you don't accept those things and that's okay, but maybe don't lump them together because they are not the same thing. 
Was this this uh, was a student or a professor? No, th- this was a professor. And this professor, I didn't take a creative writing class with him, but I know that someone someone who did pretty said pretty said that like there's no ma- like magical realism was a stretch for him. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I, I want to get back to the whole magical realism thing, but let's get Emma in here. So, Emma, what uh, do, what what do you think about what Alina and Jamie have been saying here? Um, first of all, I'm really sorry you had to go through that. Uh, I think that my experience was a little different because although I arrived at a time where there were still some professors who weren't accepting genre in their classes and where the big literary magazine on ca- campus, Catch, wasn't accepting any genre fiction, the tides had already started turning by the time I stepped foot on campus. I mean, could you could you say a little bit more? Like, so did you take creative? You took creative writing classes, right? What kind of um, experiences did you have? I took creative writing classes. Most of my experiences, I never had a professor who said you can't write genre. I never had a professor who outright disparaged it. I think where it got a little bit of that more nuanced negativity was where professors didn't quite understand how to critique it or offer valuable feedback about the genre without telling you don't write genre and where the where your classmates didn't quite understand how to provide feedback on world building or things that are a bit more specific to writing genre fiction. I mean, because because Emma, we got connected because of a writer that we know, Elena Gleason, and she said that the school really had a significant change. She says from the time that she started to the time that she graduated, um, because of I think you and a, a group of students around you, right? Could you talk about that? Sure. Um, as I said, there were still when I started, there were still professors who did prohibit it in their classes. I had specifically sort of asked around and chosen not to take those professors. But what ended up happening is we did a lot of what Jamie Ann was talking about. We sort of carved a space out for ourselves on campus by creating a magazine that catered expressly to genre fiction and genre poetry. And as we were putting that together, we basically decided that the best way to sort of deal with some of these issues with professors not accepting genre fiction was by having a really strong presence on campus. So in addition to putting the magazine together, we also tried to bring in authors, we put a radio station together, we'd host write-ins, and just tried to make it so it was something that professors had to think about on a daily or weekly basis and couldn't just like think about every so often and then, you know, not really change their mind about it. Who were the authors that you brought to campus? Um, we worked with Caxon Club to bring Patricia Reedy and we brought a couple of alumni to campus. And I unfortunately, 10 years later, can't remember all of their names. <laughs> and you said you had a radio station? Yes. I think my junior year, a couple of the quiver editors put together a radio station that would play like sort of fun sci-fi music and they then like occasionally read something on the radio station. It was, I think like one in the morning or something, but it was fun to put to get events together for that as well. This was like internet radio or actual radio? It was, Knox actually has a radio station and it was played on that radio station. 
So you just had a time slot that you played science fiction related stuff Precisely. on a campus radio station. Yeah, that's really that's really cool. Um, and then so so you start you launched this um, campus magazine Quiver, right? What was the process like for getting that up and running? So there was a lot of process for figuring out how we were going to do the funding for it. Um, we there were part. I think the whole time I was there, there was an attempt to get a print publication, but because that was so expensive, we ended up deciding to do an online magazine, which I think was only about $400 a year. And Knox has a publication board that you have to appear before and justify yourself every year in order to get funding. So that was really working with um, our advisor on the magazine who was professor and figuring out what the process was to go through that. I don't think it was overly complicated. I think it was a form and then appearing before the board and sort of advocating for yourself orally. Right, and so, so you managed to find a couple professors who were friendly to fantasy and science fiction? We did. Actually, the idea from the magazine was a professor's idea. I took, I think, two writing courses with Robin Metz, who I think has been in charge of the creating writing department at Knox for about 50 years now. And my spring semester, when I was in his fiction workshop, I was writing a novel about time travel. And I remember sort of sitting down in one of those one-on-one -on -one conversations you have with a professor when they're critiquing your work and talking about some of the things I had encountered on campus that didn't feel as accepting as genre fiction as I would have hoped. And I remember him sort of just smiling at me and wondering like, okay, what, what's going on? He's like, so I have this idea. And he pitched to me the idea of this online magazine um, for speculative fiction. And it would be a quiver and it would house a bunch of different websites within it. And each one of those websites would be for a different genre. So you'd have your website for science fiction and your website for young adult literature and your website for romance literature. And I remember him saying that he'd come to this realization that like there's so many people that wanted to write this at Knox and care very deeply about it that he thought it was time to start carving out a space for them. That's interesting. And so how did the other faculty react to that? I think that it varied. We had one other faculty member who teaches children's literature who was very supportive. We had a bunch of people who were like, didn't care much either way, but if you knew them personally, they tended to be supportive because they liked you. And then there were a few people who weren't as supportive, but generally we only ran into that when we were trying to get money. And I think the big fear there was we were going to take money away from other literary pursuits on campus. So what, so, so what was it like then when you we went before the, what was it, the activities board or something? like? Publications just board. Publications. How, just, just sort of paint a picture of, the, of that for us. You know, that was actually something I delegated. So I can't say I <laughs> ever appeared before the board myself. Okay, but so you don't have any idea. There was no host. Was there overt hostility from that body, or did you had to? Did anyone had to work there, around? Or there was some hostility, I think, especially when we tried to push to have a print magazine, which would have cost thousands of more dollars. Um, I think that it took us seven years to get the print magazine, um, but I think. We were lucky in that Robin and um, Professor Tanner Smith were willing to advocate on our behalfs. 
And having that kind of advocacy really helped move things along. And so there is a print magazine at the school now? Yes. Um, I think back in 2013, they switched over to a print magazine. And so this this process continued after you graduated, right? Because it was like three years or something after you graduated then that the print magazine started? Yep, that's correct. Yeah. So have you heard, so what are you hearing just about how the, I don't know, how things have changed at the school since you graduated? It was, I actually yesterday had a half hour phone call with Josh Althoff, who's going, who's a student at Knox now and is going to be taking over running the Quiver magazine next year. And I think that probably like one of my happiest moments was talking into him yesterday and going like, do you guys still have problems with professors banning you writing genre literature in class? Um, is that still an issue? And he paused and was like, oh, oh, no, no. And just having that be like such an odd concept to him was probably like one of my favorite moments from having started this. And so it seems like it's going fairly well with that. I think there's still funding issues on occasion, but I would say it's a very different place from where it started back in 2005. Yeah, that's just really, really cool. Um, I'm curious, Alina, what is your uh, reaction listening to Jamie Ann's story and Emma's story here? Uh, Jamie Ann's story is perhaps uh, quite a bit more relatable than Emma's. <laughs> um, honestly, like listening to uh, Emma speak about how, like, how the campus has changed and like just that being um, just that unaccepting attitude being sort of a thing of the past, like that sounds nice, but almost mythical. Like, we have our own creative writing club on campus here, and it's a wonderful place, and I started going. Um, but we don't, we don't have anywhere near that much of sort of a grassroots effort to change anything, on our campus at least. Have you met other fantasy and science fiction fans or aspiring fantasy and science fiction writers at your school? I have, yeah, through our creative writing club. But there's not that many of them. Not that I know of. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a statistically significant population. <laughs> uh, there seem like I can't conclusively say that there isn't, but I maybe just haven't found them. It sounds like you've been getting involved, kind of in your local community, going to bookstore events and stuff like that. I have a little. Uh, we have an independent bookstore pretty close to our campus. It's like walking distance. So there's really not much excuse for me not to be going to cool things. So when I can, like academic schedule permitting, I do go to like fun events and things like that. So is your, so your inclination at this point is to fight this or to just kind of um, let it slide? I'm not sure what I'm going to do about it. Um, uh, I know that I'm probably not going to be able to take any more classes because, as I said, double major, uh, not really that much room in my academic schedule for it. Um, but I think previously to, like, seeing other people's responses to uh, my original Facebook post and to uh, other discussions of this that happened, um, I hadn't really known that, like, fighting it would be an option because... Partially because the person who I sort of had this not quite argument with 
was a tenured professor with some institutional power. So it kind of felt like not much would have changed even if anyone had uh, expressed any opposition. And also, I was the only person turning in genre fiction in my class, even though there was no explicit ban on it. So it kind of felt like, what would it matter if I was like the only person who voiced this complaint? I mean, at one point you were talking about putting together a collection of links and after your grade was grades were turned in, giving this professor a piece of your mind, are you still planning to do that? Or have you kind of decided I to give that one a pass? kind of did, uh, in the sense that I gave him a lot of uh, links and recommendations in the course evaluation, because uh, our university has a submit evaluations of the classes that we take near the end of the year, once as grades are starting to come out. And when I got my grade back for this class, I went to fill out my evaluation. And it wasn't that I gave this professor a bad review. I just mentioned that I had quite a few concerns, um, in part due to like his uh, judgments of genre fiction. And I mentioned a lot of the stories that I thought like would probably be uh, good reading for someone who maybe has some misconceptions of what genre fiction is like. And I left those links in his evaluation, but I haven't actually, like, given him a piece of his mind, as you said, or <laughs> my mind. It, it just, I don't see the point of starting an argument after the fact, and an argument isn't necessarily going to change anyone's mind. It's that um, it's changing people's assumptions about something, or at least giving them the opportunity to do so that's going to change their mind. And that's what I tried to do. I mean, Jamie, and what do you think about Alina's situation here? Do you have any advice or like, how would you approach this if it were you? I mean, I, I think that Alina did exactly what I did um, as well, which was my professor asked us to like, you know, as she was considering our final stories to like write a letter with any thoughts or anything that she might want to consider. So I sort of did give her a piece of my mind. I may have probably should have done this before grade or after grades came out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I sort of talked to, you know, to her about how like she had created an environment in the class that was very hostile towards genre writers and was very hostile to um, just like it, you know, everyone was, it was very competitive. It was really kind of awful. Um, and it was not, you know, conducive to feeling like I could work with my classmates or talk to her. Um, but like Alina mentioned, sort of joining a creative writing group and find just finding a space on campus where you can write what you want to write and be productive and get valuable critiques that, that actually help, um, I think was like the best thing that, that I did. And the, the creative writing group that, that we started in as a response to like what had happened to me the previous semester, we didn't necessarily say this is only a speculative fiction group. We said, this is a group for all genres and anyone was welcome, but you had to be accepting of all genres. And pretty quickly, the people who weren't accepting of all genres left. Um, 
because <laughs> they were they were outnumbered because the because they had a spot in the English department and the rest of us really didn't feel like we had a place in the English department to write what we wanted to write. Um, so it, it very quickly became more of a haven for um, fantasy and sci-fi and just generally genre, genre fiction um, because of that. But that was, it, you know, really good. I just, you know, finding a spot, make, and if you can't find a spot that's already existing on campus, making your own spot to do what you need to do is the best advice I can give. Right. And I'm not suggesting that everyone ought to fight everything. I mean, in my own life, I basically let it slide because what happened to me was that I, you know, this was back before the Internet. So it was basically impossible to really find out anything about a college before you went to it. But the college that I ended up going to, one of the reasons I wanted to go there is because I had gotten my hands on the course catalog and they had a science fiction course listed in the course catalog. So I figured there must be at least one person there who was uh, interested in fantasy and science fiction. But then when I got to the school, uh, they never offered that class. I don't know who taught it. I assume the person was an adjunct and it left or something. Um, and I wasn't allowed to write science fiction in any of the classes that I took there. And so that was kind of a, a bummer. Um, but, you know, so I wrote literary fiction and, you know, I learned some valuable lessons from that. And I, I can't say that that's the wrong thing to do. I mean, I think it depends on the situation, but um, it's sort of it's sort of a an annoying situation because. I think that for you, for for the individual, the best thing to do is not to cause too much problems. But if everybody does that, then this overarching problem never changes, right? Um, so I don't know, Emma, what do you think about that? That issue of how much should you fight this? Well, I think the best way to fight is to make known in your classes that you want to write. But I don't think you necessarily have to critique the presser while you're there to be effective. Really what I found work was exactly what Jamie Ann was talking about was creating your own support structure and just making sure that like your professors saw you doing things with your genre literature every couple of months, every couple of weeks so that they knew you really, really cared about it and it kept it on their mind. I'd say two other things to keep in mind if you're looking to sort of increase your presence on campus are admissions people are your friends. One thing that we found was very valuable is when we could, when we were trying to get people to support us getting more money or hosting events was there are people who are interested in writing genre fiction. We're, if we, we're putting this out there and we're one of the few colleges that is doing it. And now it's at the point where there are people who go to Knox College because Quiver is there. And the admissions people were very supportive of that because there's lots of young kids who wants to write this and there aren't a lot of places that do it. The other thing I would say is if you have time for independent studies, those can also be a really good option. My junior year, we put four of us together and created this um, advanced speculative fiction writing workshop where every other week we switched off between critiquing fantasy and sci-fi novels we were writing and studying specific subgenres of speculative fiction. So like cyberpunk, steampunk, horror, the week that we all read The Shining and lived in the same dormitory was not a good week. Um, <laughs> and so I take advantage of that. And it doesn't have to be a fiction um, professor that helps you with that. If you have a physics professor who like you walk into their room and they have like posters of Doctor Who and Star Trek and Firefly all over their office, that might be somebody to reach out to as well, depending on how your system set up at your college. 
I think that's a really, really good point, Emma, that you're likely to find allies in the physics department or the biology department or something. There's got to be some science fiction fans um, there. Um, I thought it was interesting what you were saying, that people now are going to Knox College specifically because it has a more um, friendly attitude toward fantasy and science fiction. Do you guys know of any other schools that have uh, any any sort of reputation like that? Not that I know of. No, nobody else. I have a couple that I've no, heard. No, I don't know anything. I don't. I don't no know anybody. No. Uh, I mean, Stone Coast and Seton Hill both have. I think they're both low residency MFA, um, the MFA programs that focus on popular fiction. There's the um, Center for the Study of Science Fiction at the University of Kansas, and then I know that John Kessel teaches at North Carolina State University. Um, so obviously he's he's a prominent science fiction author. So obviously he's friendly to it. And then actually one of my friends posted on my Facebook post saying he went to a program at Simmons College in Boston, which is a MFA. It's called uh, Writing for Children. And um, this friend of mine was saying that if you can get into a program that focuses on YA, that people who write YA tend not to uh, be prejudiced against any kind of genre. And they just like write whatever, mm. you know, whatever they think will be uh, you know, that they're most interested in. And I think that's actually something really interesting when I was like prepping for this podcast is I went to look and see if there was a list of colleges that a list, you know how there are a list of colleges that are like best journalism program, best teaching program. There doesn't seem to be a list or a recognition really out there for genre writing at the um, undergraduate level. And I wonder if that's something that those of us now that we've graduated who are involved or starting to be involved in the speculative fiction community, if maybe there's a space for that, and that would actually help a lot of people in the situations we've sort of been describing. Now, I was thinking that, Emma, that what we need is like a U.S. News and World Report 100 Best Schools for Fantasy and Science Fiction Writers. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, right now, it would probably be like eight best, not 100 best. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious if anyone is listening to this and you feel that the school you're at or you know of a school that you think is particularly friendly to fantasy and science fiction writers, you know, shoot us an email at geeksgalaxy at gmail.com and let us know. And maybe we can put together a, a list like that if we can get, can get enough data. Um, do you guys have let's, let me talk about some of the. OK, so I um, so I posted on Facebook before this panel saying. What kind of just asking people who are in college now or uh, are just a couple of years out of college, what kind of experiences that they've had? And I got about 30 comments. Uh, virtually all of them reported some level of uh, problems that they've had. Um, Cassandra Fleming said that even I mean, I think her school is kind of um, unfriendly to fantasy and science fiction. But she says even beyond that, even if it weren't, another issue is that the school doesn't provide any. Um, you know, they don't tell you about contests or publications or anything in the, in, you know, that are, that would be of interest to fantasy and science fiction writers. So, uh, you know, it would be really nice if, you know, if you're a fantasy and science fiction author and they would tell you about the Dell Magazines Awards or Alpha or, you know, programs like that. Um, cause you got, cause like, um, Jamie Ann and Delina, you never heard any, you've never heard anything at your schools about contests like that, or did you? I never heard of, like, everything that I heard about, I've heard about through Alpha. Um, the one thing that did happen my freshman year, um, 
the that um, there's a biology professor speaking of allies in the science department um, who wrote science fiction and her editor um, God I'm forgetting his name is it David Hartwell from Tor oh was it David Hartwell well wow. yeah yeah from Tor he um, he he was on campus and he was looking for people who were interested in genre fiction to come and talk to him. And he mentioned Clarion. And from looking at the Clarion website, I found the Alpha website and was like, well, I think I'm a little too, too old, too young for Clarion. So I applied to Alpha. Um, but that was like the most that, that I ever heard on campus about things. I, for like our creative writing group, I made sure to, like definitely play up like these are opportunities that I know about. Here's Alpha, here's the Dell Awards. You guys should all be applying for these things. Um and that that's how that's how Karen found out about Alpha and applied to Alpha. So I I feel victorious. <laughs> I got one person. Um, but there other than that there really wasn't any um any talk about contests or prizes or, or workshops or anything that might be of interest to a speculative fiction writer on campus that I heard. And Olina, I assume it's the same for you on your campus? Yeah, I would add that um, the opportunities that we do get, because I'm still uh, subscribed to the uh, department listserv, and occasionally we do get opportunities, but a lot of them are like the four exposure opportunities. And some of them are not necessarily like creative writing focused. And there's really very little discussion of what that actually means and what that's setting up like newly or new graduates for. And I think that that's, a, that's its own separate issue. Uh, but yeah, there wasn't anything really targeted specifically to, uh, speculative fiction writers. Yeah, I guess it's it's almost a side issue, but that is another thing that's really frustrating often about university creative writing programs is that there's almost no discussion of how you would make money as a writer or how you would have a career as a writer or support yourself or anything like that. I assume none of you guys, none of you guys, did anyone even ever mention in your creative writing classes how you would make money as a writer or what markets would pay you or anything like that? I think that we have one professor who set us down and like showed us the tools you use to find um, magazines that are accepting submissions for publication. But I don't think there was anything more than that. Yeah, in my advanced fiction class, we were supposed to, um, one of the things was she wanted us to have one of our short stories submission ready and go through like duotropes. This is before duotropes, um, before you had to pay and like find markets to submit it to and part of our final project would be submitting it. And then for some reason that got dropped from the, what, from the course requirements. So we never went through that and never, never. Yeah. Everything I know, I know from alpha. <laughs> I'm even impressed though, that they mentioned duotrope. That's even more than I would have expected. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they mentioned du duotropes. Yeah. Um, so Alina, how did you find out about alpha? If not through the college, through the, any of your schools or how did that happen? I think it was Twitter, uh, because I started, like, I started using Twitter, uh, pretty actively my senior year of high school. And I found writer Twitter and nerd Twitter pretty quickly, uh, and just stayed there forever. Uh, but I noticed the link going around, um, 
and I decided that this might be like a really good thing to do before I went off to college and it ended up being like the best decision ever. So glad I clicked <laughs> on that link. <laughs> See, I don't think I even know about these. Those are the names of the Twitter accounts, nerd Twitter and writer Twitter. Oh no, it was just like the people that I was following ended up being like, like the nerdier parts of Twitter and like the, like the part of Twitter where all of the writers sort of tweet at each other. <laughs> So you were just looking up authors whose books you liked and yeah. following them? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it almost it raises the issue of, you know, how much of this stuff, how much of the community can you just find online? Do you need to organize something, you know, in your physical environment? I think that would probably be beneficial for, like, people who maybe don't know that there is an online space for it. And there are still those people out there, and that's definitely something that needs to be addressed, like, on campuses. Uh, I think if there's, like, no space for it at all, that um, it's definitely necessary in some capacity. And, like, for me, uh, like, I'll go to uh, creative writing club meetings, and for me, I guess, I see it as personally uh, enough support, like, for myself on campus but I also have, like, Twitter and uh, the online sort of community. Uh, but I do think, like, on, like there, it's important to have those physical spaces because it's a sort of institutional recognition of the validity of the, those students' choices. And if that's completely lacking, then that's probably a pretty big problem. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But I mean, so Emma, did you ever, I mean, when you were going through this years long process to get the literary magazine going, did you ever, were you ever tempted to think like, ah, screw this, I'll just hang out on Twitter or? Well, this was before we had text messages. So we weren't quite at the tweeting stage. Um, I, I think that we tried some online things, but we didn't have we didn't have Twitter. We didn't have the communities up there that I think are present now. And I think that there is something, as Alina said, something very useful about having your own space. And I, as much as I've gotten very good feedback from people online since I've graduated, having people there in person so you can have a discussion, I think, is also a very valuable resource. Yeah. Okay, wait, I, I, so I have a thing here that I thought was really good. So so John Wheeler on my Facebook post, he says, uh, whenever I wanted to take a class with one of the professors who wasn't friendly to fantasy and science fiction, I emailed them in advance, told them I was going to register for their class, but that I only wrote sci-fi and fantasy and attached a sample story to the email. I asked them to let me know if that wasn't going to be acceptable, but no one did. I ended up doing well and having good relationships with those teachers. So... And what do you guys think about that strategy of uh, emailing a story to your to a professor before you enroll in the class and see what kind of reaction you get? That seems like a really good idea to me. I mean, my college had a specific application process where you submitted, where you had to submit a sample of your work, um, which is, I think, what Karen was getting at when she said that it was pretty well known that if you submit speculative fiction, you're not going to get in. Um, but I think that if you have the opportunity to email a professor directly, that it's harder for them to just blink, to say no to a person than it is for them to say no to an anonymous writing sample. 
um, and that you could have a good relationship with a professor like that, and you could, you, but it it depends on, um, I guess, how your school structures it and whether you can do that or not. Would you email the person, or could you meet them in person? Would that is that something that would ha- could happen? Oh, I don't know. I think I mean I like the idea of like maybe both would be good. Yeah, I don't know, Emma. What do you think about that? I think that's a great strategy, especially if you're at a place that doesn't have an established group that can help you figure out which professors are accepting or not as accepting. Yeah. See, Alina, any any other thoughts? I mean, uh, like regarding like the um, emailing a professor beforehand or like some sort of yeah. application process. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So did you? Because you didn't. Um, have any sort of contact with this professor ahead of time, right? No, I hadn't. Um, I actually, when I registered for the class, um, it hadn't actually given us any names, like, of who would be teaching it. It just said staff at the time when I was picking the class to register for it. Uh, so I had no idea who would be teaching it. Uh, and my school didn't have any kind of application process because it was a 101 level class. Uh, so... There wasn't really an opportunity to contact anyone beforehand. So I just sort of went into it kind of carefully and, <laughs> I guess, learned my lesson. <laughs> Do you think that if you had gone into the, sorry, it's been a long time since I was in college, the like registrar or something, you could have found out who was going to teach the class? Um, I mean, we did it all online and we do it months in advance. Uh, so at the time, I, I'm not sure. I'm, if I'm, I'm not sure if I could have done that at the time. Hmm. Um, also, um, yeah, that information just wasn't given out. Uh, and I don't think they, uh, decided who would be teaching it until like right before the semester started. Hmm. All right. They just knew they were going to offer it. Yeah. Okay, so I said I wanted to come back, come back to the magical realism issue. So I think that's a good time to do that now. So, um, so actually my friends who ended up going to the Simmons MFA program said that one strategy is that you can just say that you're writing magical realism rather than fantasy. And, you know, so, so rather than, you know, just stay away from secondary worlds, um, you know, stay away from, uh, really familiar, fantasy and science fiction elements, but you can still basically write fantasy stories if you call them magical realism. Uh, what do you guys think about that strategy? Uh, so, Jamie Ann, what do you think about that strategy? Um, I mean, I think it might work. I never did it because I never, like, I don't know, I had this sort of sharp divide in my mind. I didn't start trying any sort of magical realism thing until after I graduated. Um, on the other hand, like, if you want to write secondary world fantasy, I feel like trying to write magical realism for a class because you want to satisfy the professor is just as hard and just as like bad for yourself as trying to force yourself to write literary fiction if that's not what you want to be writing. Because, I mean, ultimately you're taking these classes because you want to get better at your writing, not necessarily. like, And you can learn things from, you can learn things from writing in different genres, but it, not if you're not, like, not if that's not what you want to be writing, I guess. Hmm. Emma, what do you think about that? I would say that 
even as accepting as Knox was, this was an issue I ran into where professors who wanted to accept fiction and genre fiction would try to turn it into literary fantasy fiction or something like magical realism. And even if it were a second world, what they there wouldn't be that focus on how do you do world building? How do you create tension? How do you do a three act? And so I think there is still, even in places that are accepting, a lot of room for growth for people understanding what what are the elements of genre fiction that you don't find in literary fiction that you have to have down if you want to get published. And I would say that I did sort of end up taking that track, but the result was that I graduated from college without really understanding those fundamental pieces of popular fiction and have now had to sort of fill them in a bit on the on the back end. Yeah. Actually, when I, a, a comment I read online, they had another strategy, um, which was to, if you have a professor who doesn't like fantasy and science fiction, find out what that professor is really interested in, you know, what their area of specialization, their academic work involves, and then write a story that deals with that subject matter in a fantasy or science fiction context. And that the person could, you know, might be really interested in in the story because of the it's dealing with something they're really interested in and will be more receptive to the fantasy and science fiction uh, aspect of the story. Uh, I mean, that goes again, like Jamie Ann is saying, you know, it's it's writing to please the professor. But I don't know. Alina, what do you think about that? Do you think you'd ever do that? That seems like writing to please the professor, but on your own terms, which I never actually thought of. Uh, but I don't know if that would have quite worked uh, in my situation. Because, um, I mean, I should probably add that, like, when, when he did, when my professor did give that lecture, uh, he did mention that, like, magical realism sort of fell under the umbrella of speculative fiction, at least for him. Uh, and therefore, he wasn't necessarily as accepting of that either, which did not necessarily make sense to me. Because, and I don't know if I want to name this person on the podcast. But, no, um, no, don't, don't. Yeah, no. Uh, what he'd written, or at least what I know of what he'd written, sort of came off to me as magical realism, uh, let alone the problematic element of just dismissing specifically magical realism, considering its history as a genre. Uh, so I don't know if that would have worked for my situation, but it's a great idea. <laughs> Um, Emma, what do you think about that idea? Um, I think it's a great idea, but I agree. It's probably going to be very dependent on the professor. Yeah. It's funny, actually, Alina, because when you mentioned that this professor is so opposed to speculative elements, but writes speculative elements in his own work, but doesn't think of them as being speculative elements. I've had that experience a lot with these professors where they will say, I hate science fiction, I hate fantasy, I don't read any of that stuff, but my favorite authors are like Kurt Vonnegut and, um, you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez and, uh, you know, like just a, like any type of absurdist or, you know, at any rate, non-realistic writer. And it does sort of strike me sometimes as a kind of the lady doth protest too much sort of thing that, you know, maybe they're so, you know, they're sort of af afraid to be, labeled a quote-unquote like the horrible quote-unquote genre writer so they insist they go too far in the other direction insisting like no no that's not what i do when really it is i don't know if anyone else has had that experience 
Sounds like no. No. Jamie Ann? I, I haven't really had the experience, no, but like I could see it happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see what else we got here. Oh, and and then so um Alina was mentioning that a lot of these things it becomes kind of hard to separate how much of the the sort of snobbishness is its own independent problem and how much of this is just an epiphenomenon of the professor having a terrible personality. <laughs> um <laughs> And so, like, uh, Melina Sweetie posted a comment, and she's talking about a bad experience she had. But she says, uh, and the cherry on top, this professor had a habit of perceiving who was writing semi-autobiographical stories and insulting the main character. He called my, char- my main character a frigid bitch in an office hours meeting and a fellow student's a quote-unquote daddy's boy in the full workshop. So I think when, like, like people are saying you have to know what you're dealing with in terms of some of these professors. And if it's a professor who just has a terrible personality, that's probably not fixable. And you should just uh, cut your losses and just try to avoid that person. Whereas if it's a person with a decent personality who just seems to not like fantasy and science fiction, there might be something you can work with there. Does everyone agree with that? Yeah. 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 I agree with that. And I think there's also this really interesting sort of intersection for younger women who are writing certain types of genre fiction. And I saw this more from the outside than from the inside where people get told that like, Oh, the issues you're exploring aren't really story worthy issues. And I feel like that maybe is a topic for another conversation, but where it's like young girls and their thoughts aren't worth writing stories about. And especially when you put them in the fantasy context. Right. So did you guys, did you guys feel, um, Alina, do you feel there's some aspect of sexism at work here or is that not the case? Do you think? I mean, I think there's always in, there's, especially in institutions like universities where they're generally demographically dominated, especially at the, uh, higher, like higher levels, especially in the, uh, like, especially in terms of their tenured staff. There's always going to be some element of sexism and general like prejudice against uh, marginalized communities, uh, just because those institutions are very historically male and they're historically white and they're historically wealthy. So there's always, uh, unless the institu- unless the institution at, at its higher level makes an effort to diversify itself and recognize that history and actively work to change uh, change the course of like their future concerning that, there's always going to be some element of sexism. Um, I feel like I did sort of encounter that, but not in direct relation to my situation. I know that at one point um, there was a story in which, uh, uh, and I didn't contribute the story, but another student had written a story in which the main character was ambiguously gendered until about halfway down the second page, and then it turned out that she was a girl who didn't necessarily present her femininity as stereotypically feminine, like, uh, like she didn't wear dresses or, like, pink, just stereotypical things like that. And most of the workshop time for that story was spent on the professor discussing how, even after... Um, 
the student had introduced like feminine pronouns for um or excuse me she her pronouns for this character that the gender still wasn't it wasn't clear enough that she was female which just was its own problem but yeah it was definitely a part of the class that you couldn't ignore well, and, and what you're saying about marginalized groups, that's sort of what you were getting at earlier, right, with magical realism. Where, sort of, yeah. Where it becomes hard to separate, I don't like magical realism from I don't like fiction from Latin America, basically. Yeah, that gets into a very um, problematic, well, or possibly problematic discussion on the part of the professor, because it's, uh, with specifically with magical realism, I don't think its history can be ignored when discussing it sort of as a whole. Right. How about Jamie Ann? Did you, what do you think about this? Did you feel that? Um, I, I don't think like, I never felt like the, the, what happened in my class was motivated by any sort of discrimination. I felt like, I mean, there was, I felt like it was motivated by discrimination against genre writers, but I guess it was equal opportunity. You write genre fiction, you're going to get beat up in this class. Um, and I mean, I guess going back to like the discussion of like, is it the professor's personality or is, do they just, you know, not, not like genre fiction? Like I later had a professor who I had for a, a subsequent advanced fiction writing class and worked with on an independent study for my honors thesis, who once I told her that I wrote genre fiction was like, she was very accepting of it. Like it wasn't what we were working on. She didn't really want to see it in class, but she was respectful of the fact that I did it. And when I have gotten genre pieces published, she has been like very, very supportive of that. And has been helped. Like she's connected me with some literary agents and other things. And that that's been really nice. So it might not necessarily be her cup of tea, but she appreciates that that's what I do and she respects that. Well, right. And I think that that's really the key thing is the just being respectful and not being rude because I don't expect every professor to like all the same things that I like. Um, but I feel like, you know, and so, and so if a, if a professor says, you know, I, I don't really know anything about fantasy and science fiction, I don't feel like I would be that helpful to you you know, in, in critiquing it and so on. Um, I don't have any huge problem with that. It, it's just when people are, are, are rude, you know, are, are rude and dismissive and, and say things that demonstrate that they're making authoritative statements when they don't know what they're talking about. And so I, I don't have any problem with people not being experts on fantasy and science fiction. But I feel like if everybody in the department is not an expert in fantasy and science fiction, they really ought to think about hiring someone who is, you know, because if it's if there are people who are interested in this, it seems like they're not serving their students very well by not having someone who is knowledgeable about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, cool. So uh, I guess I just wanted to mention that this has come up a bunch of times on the show before. So if people are interested in uh, what some of our other guests have to say about experiences that they had in college and so on. I would encourage people to check out our interview with Carrie Vaughn back in episode nine and our interview with Michael Shabon in episode 55. We actually did a whole panel discussion on bias against fantasy in episode 37. So if you're interested in this subject, we have a lot more to say about it there. 
And I would also just encourage people to check out this story by John Langan called Tutorial, which is about a student who wants to write fantasy and science fiction in a creative writing class with a professor who's very hostile and wants him to only write realistic fiction and to follow Strunk and White to the letter. And it turns, it's, it's a horror story. It turns out that this professor is like some sort of supernatural monster trying to <laughs> crush the imagination. So people never, never use their imaginations enough to figure out that there's this conspiracy of monsters inhabiting the world. So I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty funny story. Um, all right, cool. So any, uh, any other thoughts, you guys, anything else you wanted to talk about? No. Uh, well, why don't we talk about then? Uh, so Emma, you said it says in your bio that you're uh, working working away at a, some fantasy novels. Anything you want to say about that? You mean like what's the plot, or? I mean, do you? <laughs> uh, I mean, do you? I don't know. Do you like what? How far into them are you? Do you expect to finish them anytime soon? Yeah, I actually have my novel due to my sci-fi novel, sci-fi fantasy novel writing workshop in on July 1st. And so pretty far into it. And hopefully in the next month and a half, I can finish the revisions. I've actually I'm in DC right now. And I've just there is a wealth of resources in DC that I didn't actually expect to have after I graduated between meetup groups and this amazing place they have out in Bethesda called the Writer's Center, where they basically it's it's this building that just hosts every kind of writing class you can imagine. So from like how to write the popular fiction novel to how to write a horror novel to how to include um, stand-up comedy in your writing. And so I'd say that's something that I've really had a fun time discovering after graduation. All right, cool. So I'm I guess I'm curious, Emma, if people want to start up their own quiver type literary magazine, do you have any advice or resources or anyone that they should uh, get in touch with or anything like that? Well, I would say if you contact the editors at Quiver, it's online at their, um, on Knox College's magazine, they probably could be a good place to start because they can help you with sort of what are the processes that you might go through. And if you want to get in contact with me through them, I'd be happy to help anybody who has any questions. All right, great. Um, and so how about Jamie Ann? Have you, uh, encountered any resources or anything post-graduation that you, uh, you want to point people to? Um, I, I've pretty much been on my own post-graduation. Um, I'm really looking now that my first year of law school is over and apparently the first is the worst. So mm -hmm. I'm, I should theoretically have more time on my hands. Um, so I'm looking into trying to find some resources either online or I'm in Boston right now um, to really get back into writing and um, have a, a little bit more structure to my writing. Um, I, I do have a finished novel and I'm working on querying that that's going slowly. Um, but so, so if there are any agents listening to this, they should there get in touch agents with you. This that are interested in a young adult fantasy novel. Um, no. But yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not really aware of resources that, you know, actually, if anyone wants to tell me about resources. <laughs> well, and so it says in your bio that you blog at jamieanfuller.com. If you, uh, what have you been blogging about lately? I do. Well, um, lately, lately, it's been about surviving law school, but generally I blog about um, 
writing about, um, I, I'm blind. I have a guide dog. Um, she will sometimes take over my blog and write about hmm. her adventures. Um, that I spent a whole year in Italy. So there's some stuff on there about that sort of just generally what's, what's what, what I'm up to. Yeah. And so it says that you have a, a story forthcoming in the anthology, the young explorers adventure guide. I do. And I'm very excited about that. It's the first science fiction story I ever wrote. Um, which which was really great. Um, it's a middle grade science fiction. Um, the anthology is middle grade science fiction aimed at or with stories um, stories about diverse characters, women or girls, I should say, um, kids of different races, different different ethnicities, different nationalities, kids with disabilities. Um, basically, the idea is to get diverse science fiction into the hands of middle school kids. So how did you find out about that anthology? Um, I saw a link for it. Gosh, where did I see that link? Um, I saw a link for it, I believe, on the list of markets um, that Cast of Wonders has listed. Um, and I said, oh, that looks interesting. And I had a story and I submitted it and they wanted to publish it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, I'm not sh what is Cast of Wonders? Tell me about that. Cast of Wonders is the um, Escape Artists Young Adult podcast. So it's it's young adult fantasy, sci-fi, horror, any genre. Um, and it's the same the same group that does Podcastle and Mothership Zeta and, and Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And they, they just became a SIP or qualifying too, so. Oh, great. Great. All right, and so uh, so how about Alina? So you have a poem coming up in Strange Horizons? I do, yeah, and I'm really excited about that. It was actually written uh, at Alpha. That was a flash piece at the time. Uh, but yeah, it's about how the moon is a feminist. So You said um, that it was inspired by a writing exercise or something? Uh, yeah, uh, the year that I was at Alpha, uh, Amal Avatar was teaching... And she had us do an exercise in response to this poem called Moon Fishing, in which we'd like sort of write a quick piece in response to that. And I wrote something that she then encouraged me to uh, turn into a poem because it, it definitely is better in that format. Um, and then she really wanted me to submit it. So I submitted it. I just chose Strange Horizons, um, because Cassie Cray, one of the editors, also teaches at Alpha. Uh, so, uh, that's why I just chose that, uh, I chose that market as the first one to send it to, and it actually got eaten by their listserv, or their, um, their email, uh, the first time <laughs> I sent it in, so I queried about it, like, four months later, uh, and then sent it in again, because it was worth a shot, and then it got accepted, so, yay. <laughs> yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, congrats. I guess you were asking us a second ago about questions. I I think this conversation and like sort of thinking through my experience has inspired a lot of thoughts of like, what can we do now that we're graduates? And I know we've mentioned sort of putting a list together of genre um, co colleges that allow genre, but I feel like there are professors out there who want to be supportive, but don't quite know how to critique fiction. Do you think there are any resources for those types of professors, if they're listening, to like sort of work with people who teach genre literature, like I think you do at Alpha, to sort of understand here are some 
things to look for when you when students are writing genre that you can help them with sort of like an introductory course for the professor or a short workshop? I mean, that's a really good question. I'll have to think about that. Um, you know, like, is there some sort of little guide or something we could have that if you're not, you know, if you're not super familiar with fantasy and science fiction, but you want to help students write it, that you could brush up on. I'm not sure if there is something like that, but I will think about that. And I guess too, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're in that position where you're a professor and you want to teach fantasy and science fiction, you know, shoot us an email again at, at geeksgalaxy at gmail.com. And uh, if we come up with any, anything along those lines, we can uh, send it out to you. Um, all right, cool. And so guys, we are pretty much all out of time. So why don't we, uh, I don't know. So now that we've all talked about this, does anyone, why don't we just go around and have a final thought on if you're, if someone's listening to this, who's currently in college and they're not feeling very welcome in their program, just uh, what do you want to say to that individual? So, uh, Alina, what do you, what would you say to someone um, in the same situation as you, basically? Uh, I would probably say, uh, definitely write what you want to write. Uh, because even if you're like trying to write to please the professor, um, I don't, necessarily think like you won't learn anything from it because I mean you definitely will uh I just don't know if you'll like benefit as much as you could if that's your only purpose for producing that specific piece um and also just like finding spaces in which you know you're going to be welcome like creative writing clubs on campus or like Twitter uh <laughs> where you know that like people will understand you on some level that's really important everyone's always welcome on twitter it's such a yeah. friendly place <laughs> uh, how about jamie ann final thought um pretty much what what alina said um what you want to write is important if only because you want to write it but it's obvious it's probably important for many other reasons, and there are people out there who want to read it, and you shouldn't let anyone, whether that's a professor or a fellow student or, or anyone, tell you that it's not important or not worth writing just because it's not what they write or what they read. And, you know, write the story that you want to write and then find the reader who wants to read it because they're out there. All right, great. And Emma, final thought. I would say your allies may not always come from the fiction department. Sometimes you'll be lucky and they do, but keep your eye out for them and build a support group, build a support system because you'll have such, you'll have so much more fun if you're doing this with other people during college. All right, great. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. So we've been speaking with Alina Sishabaya, Jamie Ann Fuller, and Emma Clark. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that was our panel. So, big thanks again to Alina Sichavaya, Jamie Ann Fuller, and Emma Clark for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So, if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution... You can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. 
All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.